Welcome to the Team of a Lifetime show. This podcast is all about helping you propel your team's performance to an extraordinary level. I'm Sally Love, your host of the Team of a Lifetime show. Tune in as my expert guests and I tackle the tough challenges teams have to overcome to achieve success. You'll get insight, powerful proven practices, and the inspiration you need to lead effectively, build an amazing team culture, and deliver results that people didn't even believe were possible. Let's get started. I'm so excited to talk to my guest today. He's delivered results on capital projects totaling over $1 billion, including the largest R&D center in the pulp and paper industry, and leading a turnaround with over 2,000 construction team members. He's headed up mergers and acquisitions, integration and divestments for one of the world's largest technology companies. And I'm really excited to talk to him about how he took a tire manufacturing site from worst to winning the bronze award in only 14 months. He knows all about getting the right people in the right seat on the bus, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. He's a guy known for getting things done in difficult situations, and he's my good friend, John Schmidt. Welcome, John. Well, hi, Sally. How are you? I am doing great. It's good to talk to you. So today we are going to be talking about getting the right people in the right seat on the bus. And with your diverse background, I happen to think that you have a lot of good insight on that. Yeah, for sure. There's been uh, many times where you uh, you have teams and team matrices that are put together. Sometimes you don't get to choose people that are uh, put on teams. And uh, so you have to, to, to uh, constantly assess where you're at. So let's go ahead and dive right in. I, I really like to start with what does getting the right people in the right seat on the bus mean to you? How, how do you characterize that? Well, you know, again, pe- people are, most times, project teams, uh, acquisition teams, uh, people are put together, uh, they're, they're selected by a, a matrix organization, and they're, they're given an opportunity to be on an, an assignment for a while. And so, in order, and, and, they're, and they're usually very talented. Uh, but to, to look at roles and responsibilities and understand how they can best contribute to those teams is really important. So in some of my past uh, projects, people would be assigned to a project, but they might have been given one role when it turns out when you sit and talk with them and listen to what they really can do, what, they, what really uh, makes them tick and what, what they really like to do, they really are, they're really been assigned to the wrong wrong. Uh, role actually that they're better suited for another role. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be on a team. It's just that, that they they aren't uh, they aren't best suited to contribute where they were put. And so, when you take over a team like that, or you're given a team, is that one of the first things you do? Then is to sit down with each person and have a conversation about where they want to go, what they think they can contribute. Yeah, I step back a little bit first and think about the vision of what I think, uh, you know, what we want to accomplish, and then take a look at what the roles are. Then I do, I sit down generally with everyone that's on the team and listen to what they, they think they're there for, um, talk about roles, but, but being careful to not try to structure it in such a way that, that well, I'm putting you in this peg or in a round peg in a square hole or this seat. 
when there might be something else that they can do that's different than that. And it goes up and down the entire organization uh, from, you know, people that are in a role that they don't even think that they, whether they're an administrative assistant or whether they're document control or whether they're vice president of a, of a division. You know, it, it's just, it varies so much. So you, you tend to want to listen to what they, they think and then keep honing in on roles and responsibilities. And as we did that, and, and I've worked with you and other uh, people as well when it comes to team building, and I hate to use that word loosely, but then to try to structure an exercise and continue to have dialogue around, well, well, how do we get closer together and how do we all support each other? And, and that's challenging. It is, it is challenging. And especially too, because you've typically been leading very large teams and it takes a lot of diverse people, diverse roles to pull that team together to make it successful. So let's talk about when you have built teams from the ground up, where you did get to select a lot of your team members. How did you go about um, identifying who you might want to have on the bus with you? In that case, when you start with basically a greenfield team where you're going to go out and actually hire individuals, you know, you start with an interview process that's based on what's the criteria, what are you looking for? to build that team, you know, who, who do you need? What are they going to have to contribute? And, and so the interview process is important and to build people besides yourself, a, a, a matrix of people to help interview so that it's not just your view. It's a, it's, it's other people as well. So that starts generally with trying to find an order of people in the existing organization or an organization that can help you interview, select, talk with people to try to figure out whether they fit or not. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And through the course of that, you can generally get a pretty good idea if you need an electrical engineer or you need a certain skill set. How do you find that skill set? And who's even if it's the right educational background, it might not have the right motivation. Have you ever been talking to someone, let's say it's someone in the current organization, and you really believe that this person would be a great addition to your team. But in interviewing them or talking to them about joining the team, they seem unsure or reluctant. If you've encountered that, I, I'd love to know, how did you approach that? Did you try to convince them to join the team or did you just pass them up because they didn't show great interest in being part of the team? You know, it's it's odd that you say that because it happens more than you think because sometimes uh, project teams or any kind of team, like particularly it happened to be with mergers and acquisitions, but um, people will sometimes, you know, they like to have a title or like to have something carved out where they're thought well of and they, and they, they, they are a really good fit for the team, but they go, well, it looks like a demotion or it looks like a sideways move or it doesn't look like it's really going to help me from a career perspective. And, and that's where when I try to encourage them to take, to forget about the structure hierarchy and all that is to the experience and the, uh, that they'll gain and the knowledge that you get working in so many different work streams. If, if given the opportunity to, to not just be pigeonholed and that you can work in, in, uh, in all kinds of different things where you can add value, uh, it's, it's so powerful even later on in your career that you'd say, well, I was on this project team and we accomplished X and we got it done. And, and, and it's different than when you're on a, in a functional organization and you have a defined role in an operation or whatever where it's, 
you got your little, everything's uh, defined and your box is pretty well there. This is the box I'm in. And, and to get to the next level, you know where you're going. In project teams and matrix things, you don't have, it isn't like that. You, you get your next assignment based on the contributions you did on a project or, the, or how the, over, the overall project did generally. It makes me think about your diverse background and all the different career opportunities that that you've had. And and I'm guessing that that was part of your approach. You looked at it and said, well, maybe I've not done this exact thing before, but this is going to help me. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to expand what I'm able to do in the future. You know, and not to pat myself on the back, but I've been told many times that, you know, when you work in... So many different work streams from HR, finance, you get exposed to the environmental, you get everything legal. You know, you, you can't get that exposure in a normal functional role. It just doesn't happen. I mean, you get pieces and parts of it. But, the, but later on in life, like now, I've been asked to consult and help organizations because I worked in all of those work streams. And I, you know, again, I've had some very good people that have been in those, in those, on those teams with me. And I've learned so much from it that, you know, it's just, it's been remarkable and it's fun. I enjoyed it the most because I got to see the whole business, not just a part of it. So I really am excited to talk about when you took over the tire manufacturing site. And um, so would you just kind of drop us in to that situation where you were presented with that opportunity or that challenge, I guess you might say. What were you thinking? How did it come about? And, uh, and just kind of tell us about that. Well, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to keep it as short as I can. But so they were looking for leadership in a big way. And, and uh, I didn't have any experience in the tire industry at all. So I'm a quick learner. And when I was interviewed by the company, they said they were looking for someone with really tire manufacturing experience. And, I'm, and I tried to convince them that that's not necessarily really what was needed. What was really needed was leadership and, and direction. And, and so as we talked, you know, I was interviewing them more than they were interviewing me, but the, but the, but the choice came down to they decided that they would give me a shot. And, and I wanted to, to, to do, hey, I had a lot to prove. So I was, I was really looking forward to, to showing them that I could, not, A, learn the process and learn the business quickly and, and, and have some fun with it and make, make substantial improvement. And so took a cut and pay to go do it. I thought it was going to be interesting. I was told that it wouldn't. It turned out it was. But, you know, it was a high stress. I mean, that industry is, uh, is very challenging, as many manufacturing sites are. And uh, it's a, it was a large site with a lot of complexities and a lot of diversity when it comes to different types of equipment and people and players. And so uh, I went to work. And, uh, and, and initially, you know, I was there uh, my first week was to spend time with the existing team to figure out because I was stuck in there as the director to see, um, you know, where did every, what did everybody think and, and what needed to be done and where they, where they basically thought they were. And, and so really, from that standpoint, you know, you can take a look at, well, there was a lot of, a lot of improvement. And, and some of it was um, that the manufacturing guys needed to give the people on the maintenance side a, a little bit of a breather because I was, I was taking over uh, a big chunk of the operation to improve the reliability and operation uh, uh, effectiveness, basically the, the uh, availability of the equipment so that it could run and produce what they needed to produce. 
So I'm curious, when you were brought in and you were not a former tire manufacturing expert, did you encounter people thinking, oh, how is this guy going to be able to help us? Yeah, there was some of that. I mean, people generally, like most industries that I've found is paper and pulp and tires and uh, other discrete uh, machining operations is there's a group think or a, you know, not from this industry kind of a problem. And I think that's okay. In some cases, I remember my days in pulp and paper, where we always wanted to hire pulp and paper people, but you know, you kind of ran out of them. And, and sometimes new ideas come from somebody that's completely outside that t- typical paradigm. And so I think there was two things that happened. One, they would come to me and say, well, what do you think about what we're doing? Which was interesting because I had a pretty good position. You know, I was given the, by, by the position alone, they, they uh, had a choice to either listen to me or, or fight with me. And generally, they, we, we had a relationship that worked uh, both ways. And so I think they were open to that. And, and, I, and I think um, then there were some people that, because I wasn't from the industry, were probably never going to give me space. And I had a lot of work to do to try to at least earn the respect. I was never going to win them over, but at least we understood that you know, there, there were different perspectives. When did you start winning them over? Well, you know, I think. Um, Actually, another kind of a story that happened is, you know, they used to get on my case so so bad to the point where uh, we had senior leadership meetings with the, the their their CEO and their executive staff once a week because it was so bad initially, and it got to a point where you know I I said, listen, you guys brought me in here. I've been there maybe two and a half three months, and I said to him, listen, you guys need to get off my case, give me some space. Or go get somebody else because I, you know, I, I can't do my job under these conditions. You hired me, brought me in to do what you wanted me to do, and you need to at least uh, understand. And, and they knew we were making improvements, but there was so much pressure. And I think that was the turning point. And when people finally said, "Well, listen, maybe that's right. Maybe we need to back off a bit," and and that didn't mean that the, the pressure went away. It didn't mean, but it's just the way in which they handled it. It wasn't such a crazy environment. I mean, initially there was a, so much pressure because, you know, you'd have I'd have I'd get a phone call in the middle of the night over a, over a particular instance that, while it might have had something to do in the big picture, it wasn't really all that critical in the moment, if you will. Yeah, it wasn't worth making a phone call in the middle of the night to talk about. And there were, and, and sometimes they were every hour on the hour. I mean, it was like being in a hospital ER room. It was, it was crazy. I'm like, we can't live like this. This isn't the way things get done. And, and from that point, it, it started to change. I mean, they still had a, a bunch of, there were still issues with the members of the team and people that, you know, they, they didn't like. They thought, you know, these, some of these people needed to be f- fired. And that's when you go back to who's sitting on the bus. I mean, one individual particularly, they wanted me to get rid of him in the worst possible way. And actually, we found a way to turn him around and things, situation, which was actually fun for me. It was like an experiment. And, uh, and so I had his back and we changed things and, and did things differently in it. And it was, uh, it was, I wouldn't say remarkable, but it was, it was clearly very different for not only him, but the results. Wow. So, so that's one example of getting the right person in the right seat on the bus. What other, what other things did you do to get the right people in the right seats on the bus so that you could then turn it around? Because I mean, I think you took them from being the worst to winning a bronze award. 
Yeah, and that in that company, I mean, as large as it was, with one hundred fifty thousand employees in the company that I worked for at the time, you know, they, these these sites that we were working with had, you know, the the top award, and to get to that level, it's pretty intense. But you know, I had to sit down with with some of the people that we were on the team. Um, looked like they had a leadership capability that weren't being used in that way. So, uh, two individuals got elevated to uh, to a supervisor role that we used in, in you know, like as a confidant and technical advisor. A couple of others were moved from a, a, a role of a leadership of a work team that didn't have, uh, at the time, uh, they weren't necessarily the best leader of, of men and women, but they, they, they needed some time with that. So we put them in a technical role and they were fantastic because they had the operation and understanding and they worked in the day-to-day environment. So we moved some people around a little bit. We didn't, I, you know, I think, I don't know that I fired anybody in that particular. There were later on some people that left because they felt uncomfortable. Um, but, but, you know, we even talked about that. So, you know, if you, if you can't, if this isn't working for you, um, you know, that this, the pressure is there, the results need to be there. And if, if, if this isn't a fit, then let's keep talking about it. You know, it won't get blindsided, but if it's not working, we can, you know, and there's no role for you, then there is no role. What was the excitement or the level of satisfaction for you in in taking that team to win the bronze award within the company? Actually, it's much year. It, funny thing is, it's years later, and that many of those same people I still talk with. They've gone on to other roles in other companies. They've they've uh, actually. It's been fun to watch them excel. Uh, some of them got out of that industry, went into something else. Some are in insurance. They're in all kinds of different walks of life. But we still talk. And it's interesting because, you know, when you think about how to make a difference, to me, that's what it was really about. They, they In the heat of the moment, sometimes you don't see that. But it, even then, you know, when you coach and mentor people and you work with them, it's like it wasn't me. It was all of them and, and us as, as we work forward on things. I think it was to be a catalyst. I mean, I was leading by example. Obviously, I worked a lot of hours. I spent a lot of time and I worked side by side with them. I mean, if they got called in or something happened, I'd go in. I mean, I didn't sit around and watch. You know, I was not passive at all. I think that that's the other thing is when, when we actually got to go to the point where we were bronze, there were some things that we got considered. I mean, that site eventually a long story, but they got shut down years later because there was some consolidation in the industry. And, and, uh, but it, they would have never even had a chance to be at that level if, they had, if, if things hadn't improved as much as they did. What are some of the obvious signs that you see that someone might not be in the right seat on the bus? They might be great people and you certainly want to keep them. Um, but what are some of the more obvious signs that they might need a different seat on the bus? And what are some of the less obvious signs that, that you could share that listeners could maybe look for in their organizations? Well, the, on the first side part of it is like, I think that there are two, two things that, that show up right away. One of them is the results. I mean, obviously, if somebody's not getting things done, um, and then you start to dig into why, it's, it's either they lack the motivation because they're not happy, they're not in the right spot, and they don't really like the role that they're in. And, and so you have to be really careful there um, because, again, we're, we're all held responsible and accountable for results. So, I mean, that's the easiest one is to, you know, just look at, at the results. I think um, 
some other things is just when you talk with them about, you know, and you listen to what they really think about where they're at, uh, it, it becomes obvious that, that either they're excited about where they are and they're engaged and they're contributing and they're talking with you. Even when they're disgruntled, if they're telling you and sharing information with you, at least you, you can work with that. But when they start to, you know, I think the less subtle ones are when they stop talking or they start to go underground, or there's um, maybe a network that's building uh, behind the scenes, and you have to be very, uh, a very good and astute uh, study of the whole network of what happens on uh, on any site or any operation. And, and I think you got to watch that because if you don't have a network where people are willing to share with you, I mean, you got to be. I mean, you don't want to be having people snitch, but I think that the issue is, is you know, they should be you should be having an, at least an understanding of how your people feel about you and what's going on. Yeah, I've always looked at it that uh, I'd rather have somebody complaining about something because at least I know they care because they want it to to change. They're willing to complain about it. If they're not saying anything, they just kind of go dark, go silent. Uh, that is a real cause for concern there because maybe they've already thrown in the towel. They just haven't left yet. Well, and, since, and I think that's the thing that I, I always said is, that, you know, we're going to make mistakes. I certainly make mistakes. I would talk to people or even the people that were, you know, I'd say, look, this isn't perfect. This isn't working. So what should we do? You know, I'm not the smartest, you know, maybe I'm, you know, you look at education and, 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 and IQ and EQ and all of that and say, well, maybe, you know, let's figure out what we need to go do. And I think when you can share the vulnerability it, it helps people open up to the point where they, they'll talk with you and you get a lot of really good input. And, and, and then you got to be bigger to figure out what you're going to do about it because sometimes it means you need to change. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday and encouraged a, a leader and I encouraged them, ask questions. Don't make statements. Ask questions. You'll, you'll get a lot more insight into what's going on if you'll ask questions. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's funny because, you know, you can reference Elon Musk or other people that go out and walk the factory floor. I think spending time with the people that are doing the work is the most important thing you can do or people on a project team that are actually doing. Because many of the times when you implement things or practices and policies and procedures and even with roles and responsibilities, and you need to see how they're working. I mean, you really need to have a very good grounded understanding of that. And if you don't do that, then you kind of lose touch and it's, and it's, it can be very difficult and it can, it can ruin. Uh, I've seen project teams go bad because people weren't open about what was going on. Yeah. And if the leader is sitting in their office, peering into their laptop all day long or in constant meetings, going from one meeting to the next to the next, and then they don't know what is happening with their people. They don't know what struggles they need to be helping their people overcome. Yeah, and it's and it, and I think that I I enjoyed you know you get certain things you have to do to manage up, and then there are certain things you do to manage down. And I think it was interesting to for me the most fun that I ever had on any assignments is to go go work out on the floor, you know, on on, on any responsibility project. And I was I drove some very very big projects, but I was I had more fun. Sometimes it's actually it was easier and it was less stressful for me to be out. Uh, with people and I could maybe put a different hat on. Sometimes I didn't even like the seat on the bus that I had, but I could at least shift things around enough to have people fill in work, the things that I look recognize that I didn't like to do. 
that's a great point, John. So often, leaders really do need to get back out on the floor and connect with their people. John, our time together today is coming to a close, but I do have one last question that I would like to ask you. So for any of the listeners today who are joining in on our conversation, you know, there's probably a leader who is saying, I have got to make sure that I get the right people in the right seats on the bus or my team is not going to be successful. What piece of advice or wisdom would you leave them with today? The biggest thing is, is don't be afraid to make a change. So, you know, I think, I think what happens a lot of times is these teams are put together and kind of, people feel like they're stuck in, in all respects. The people that were put on the team and the people that are leading the team feel like they're stuck. I think that the most important thing is to do an assessment, continually do an assessment, but basically to see how things are going. But if it's not working, move people around. Uh, and I think you, you can't, con- you know, constant change is not good. People necessarily like or don't like change. But, you know, I think it's important that as the team evolves, you go through different stages anyway. At the beginning of any assignment, whether even in my mergers or acquisition experience, you go through all these different phases. And some people that are in a technical role might not be in a good technical role in the second or third or fourth phase of an, uh, of an initiative. So don't be afraid to change it up because... Uh, it's it's like any of those teams, you know. People p- people sometimes they thrive on getting a chance to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. That, John, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on the Team of a Lifetime podcast. And you always have such insight, such wisdom, and you are a straight shooter. And you were today, and and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. As we get ready to wrap up today's episode. I'd like to ask you to do something for me. If you found this episode valuable, will you share it? That would mean so much to me. You can share this episode from whatever platform you're listening on today, or you can simply direct people to visit sallyloveinspires.com slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Team of a Lifetime podcast too, so that you can continue to get insight, real life application, and the inspiration you need for transforming your team into the Team of a Lifetime. Thank you for joining me today. I'll be back with a new episode soon.